The University of Connecticut is a pioneering body of research and innovation. This podcast brings you the stories, the motivations, the passions possessed by the people behind this success. Welcome to UConn in Vivo. Today we take an inside look at the Kanadia Lab and the founding members of this podcast. I'm joined with current co-host Victor Kaye, former co-founder and co-host Elisa White, and our professor, Dr. Rahul Kanadia. Thank you all for being here. Thank nice you. Good to be here. Yeah. Nice to be here. So I figured we can talk about how we started this project and the motivations behind it. And it was actually a pretty funny story where Rahul and I were walking down the hallway and, and Elisa and I at the time were applying for a fellowship that required broader impacts and scientific outreach to the community. And as we were walking down the hallway, another professor from our department, physiology and neurobiology, stopped us and asked what sort of impact we have communicating science to the public. And we realized at that moment we had done nothing in our lives to try to convey science to the public. But, I mean, you laugh, but it's true, right? <laughs> like, many people don't really engage scientifically. You know, you stay in this niche bubble. And right. this professor, Dr. Zingunas, came up with the idea that we should start a podcast. Well, it's Dr. Chingunas. Chingunas. Come on. Chingunas. Chingunas. Cal, come on. What are you doing? Uh, I mean, he asked a simple question, right? He right. said, mm -hmm. do you know all the research going on in this hallway? No. Do you know all the research going on in your own department? No. Do you know all the research going on at the university? No. Why don't you bring a voice or a platform to provide a voice for all these professors doing research behind these closed doors to talk about their work right. to, to the public? Well, also you take it for granted. Right? If you're in research, you don't really ask. It's, it's familiar. You don't realize sure. that it's not what people actually have access to. Mm -hmm. So you don't think about it. You take it for granted. Right. Especially if you study a small field. I mean, what we study is, is pretty niche. There's a small group of people throughout the world studying what we study. So not only is it that we take it for granted, but it's hard to even communicate what we do effectively to our own friends and family and to the rest of the people in our department. So it's nice to provide a more communicable manner than raw science and publications. Well, and looking at overview and impacts and yeah. that kind of but thing. But you know, it's always that I find in a bizarre way what personal interest starts a process off and then it is enriching for its own sake and I think that is what I learned from that experience is right. that something mentioned in passing like we should try something right and that something is now what we're sitting here and talking about and I feel like we often don't jump in when somebody suggests even though you know it's a good idea you say well somebody else is probably doing it mm -hmm. that's the first thing you rationalize Second, well, how would I even go about doing it? And then you create all these activation energy barriers that you say to yourself why you're not going to do it. Mm -hmm. And I remember coming into the office and saying, Kyle, we're doing this. Make this happen. And we didn't want to do it. And you didn't want to do it. <laughs> yeah. And what is amazing about the two of you, which is why I'm so proud, is that you kind of didn't fight me. You're like, all right, let's give it a shot. And then as you slowly started to do it, you realized if anyone goes to the archive and hears the first podcast, there is an energy that is natural. Mm -hmm. You're not faking it. You're not doing it for the wrong reasons. You're really doing it because you're having fun. Watching you have fun, it's just amazing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I initially was not sold, right? I was like, yeah, it's a good idea, but <laughs> podcasting, I've never done anything like that, right? And I mean, it's same here. The same, same for you, right? Yeah. I mean, I remember we were laughing about it. You know, on yeah. our way home, we were like, well, "We're not doing yeah, that." Not doing yeah. That <laughs> but then, I mean, WHS is great. UConn is great. Reached out to Drew, the Drew. podcast director, and he set us up, taught us everything right away. And just having this facility on hand is awesome to have it in your backyard. Right, and 
the access is one thing, but you deciding to use it mm-hmm. is where I think we're not doing more of. So it's like not knowing this place exists would prevent you from exploring. But now that you know, you can pass it along. Right. And I think pass it along brings Victor in. Mm-hmm. It's such a fantastic pass along, which is that you are brought into something that you are enjoying. Oh, yeah. Uh, and maybe when you guys are graduated and gone and doing bigger and better things, there will be a new format to this that you might not recognize. Next, because next somebody, Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And, and I think university setup has to be designed so that it remains evergreen, so that you can pass right. along and so that somebody else follows your footsteps. Yeah. I mean, we are also super lucky with uh, uh, the first guests that we reached out to, mm-hmm. Radenka Marich and Jeremy Teitelbaum, who you know hold very high positions at the university, were actually willing to come to this novel new project, take their time to talk with us when it was still in its infancy. And they were fun and engaged and energetic, and the positive feedback we gained from that really you know, propelled us to make it bigger than it was at the time or what we ever right. imagined it could become. Um, I still remember when Kyle was preparing and I said, if you're going to interview someone, know some details that you can drop that engages them right away. Mm-hmm. And what was amazing was I said it knowing full well you're probably not going to do it. <laughs> Just because I know most of the times when I tell you only majority of mm-hmm. the stuff is not going to, because it's one of those things out of your comfort zone. Right. But you realize the value of it. I think you came back and you're like, that was the best thing I've done because you knew so much about her going yeah. in. I mean, it helped us both tremendously. Without that, it would have been terribly difficult to navigate. I mean, conversing is a lot harder than you'd imagine. Yeah. Right? To actually engage with someone you've never really talked to before about their work, which they are so passionate and right. love with and that you're you not know familiar nothing. with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's... And to have an engaged and intellectual conversation about it for, you know, even for 30 minutes, it's not routine. What I liked was in the first one when Alisa, you and Kyle had practiced how you're going to go in and out yeah. questioning. <laughs> like you had done the work that says, okay, I'm going to go, then you go, then you go. Right. You know, it seems sort of trite. Like when you're doing it, you're like, yeah. But then in practice, you realize the value of it because yeah. you mm-hmm. gives the other person a sense of, okay, now I have to just listen. But then that's your time to formulate your part of the question, right? right? And then it became such a nice way of... Uh, yeah. I mean, I know Kyle, Victor, and I all listen to podcasts all the time. Mm-hmm. And it always sounds so natural, but clearly it takes like a little bit of planning and then... Coordination. Coordination, yeah. definitely. Um, and like when you have a guest who was just as passionate as Radenka was and Jeremy as well about their research, it makes it so much easier just mm-hmm. to engage about their research even though you don't know much about it which is exciting and that's definitely a trend that has not let up i mean we've been lucky with everybody that we've interviewed for sure that they're just super personable super excited to share what they're doing and that makes things a lot easier on this end Mm -hmm. you know when they are so ready and well i think it's because we're tapping into something that isn't openly exploited right people want to talk about their work they do their work for reasons because they love it and they want to be able to share that with as many people as they can and how do you do that every day day to day when you're so invested in your research. This here, maybe you're only talking to Victor and I or Lisa and I in the moment, but you understand that it can be heard and listened to by anybody once it's online. 
once it's right. streamed. And I think right. for us as students, like you oftentimes don't know how to just approach a professor or someone who's high up at the university that to too. talk to them about their research. So in this way, we're giving you the ability to kind of ask those questions, even though it's through us, mm -hmm. but to ask the questions that you would want to ask as a student well, of a I'm, professor. And I was going to say, you know, the fact that you're sharing how everyone was excited to share. And I think as you and both Elisa and you have begun to progress in your research, you yourself realize how excited you are to share your own research. Exactly. And so this is built into the people we select for, is that these are people that are going to work really hard for something that they enjoy. Mm -hmm. And so asking them, tell me what you do, that's all you need to say. Right. Mm -hmm. Except I think the barrier is how do you approach a professor? And mm -hmm. I think what this podcast has done is that it gives you a professional email going out that says we would like to invite you rather than, hey, my name is Kyle, I want to talk to you. Right. Which will never work. But also, I think this project is also founded upon humanizing professors and mm -hmm. providing that backstage personality that they might not present in a lecture or something, but it's who they are as a person and yeah. because it's founded in that that light that helps with the energy and the emphasis and the passion yeah because we're not only asking them what do you do what is your research we're asking you why did you choose that yeah. how did you even get mm -hmm. started and a lot of people don't realize that the professors are one time in our position right. just <laughs> as confused right. and now may have found their way but there was a couple struggles along the way and that's always cool so, to reveal. so there is a great narrative on humanizing professors, especially scientists, because the entire literature sort of side of things in Hollywood, if you think of a professor, there's a very stereotype that is they're going to do something that's destroy the world, right? That's like, oh, you're <laughs> going to make, you're going to do something that's going to just blow everything up, or they are absent-minded, or they are disheveled, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I think that stereotyping, we don't think about those things. But that has a huge impact on the average person because when they think of a professor, there is a baseline image that pops up. Mm -hmm. And your podcast is trying to say that's so not the case, right? And I think how do you get to that? The reason is if you are not yourself steeped in some sense of academic research, you're not able to ask the question with freedom of, or somebody's going to judge me, or I'm going to look stupid if I ask so-and-so. But I think what you guys started to realize is that you just have to ask a simple question. It's not really yeah. something that requires a lot of preparation. And I think we've realized that when we have to explain our own research now to maybe an undergrad who's working below us, we now see like some of these questions we had ourselves, and we have been in that position where we thought we were asking stupid questions, but they actually were really integral and maybe we should have explained it to begin with rather than assume that someone else knows. So I feel like putting someone in the position to actually talk about their work from a complete outsider's perspective right. is nice. Right. It's nice because of the format and the understanding that we and the professors come into this with no expectation that we would know and exactly. so it kind of opens up and makes it more free to, yeah. you guys to feel ask like those quote-unquote stupid mm -hmm. questions. Yeah. I mean, I guess if uh, since we're all sitting here, you can be the professor of the day. <laughs> and, uh, we can talk and ask you specifically why not only did you get involved in science, maybe you could talk about where you came from, born and grew up in India, and came to the U.S., 
and how you got involved in the specific research you do. And we ask everyone why <laughs> well, you uh, way, find passion in that yeah, work. My origin story is part of your origin exactly, story, yeah. right? It's a narrative across time. So research was not something that I even knew existed as a path, right? Except in 11th grade, her name was uh, Mrs. Banerjee. She was our biology teacher. And we're talking, you know, uh, circa 1980s, right? So this is really hardcore teaching where she would teach us and it would be draw the structure of xylem and phloem of this stem of a lotus. And you had to draw it precisely the way you saw it in the microscope. And if the lines of the cells were not connected mm -hmm. properly, she's like, so you just killed this plant because this cell is now dying because the membrane is not connected. <laughs> I'm like, but I, it's a pencil mark, who cares, right? But that was something that I actually intuitively took to. One day I stared at one of the biology textbooks and the image of the cell, and I just sat there staring at it to get a pictorial map of a cell of how to draw one. Mm -hmm. I stared at it for so long. At the time I was living at my aunt's house to go to the school that I was going to, she actually called my mom, thinking that <laughs> I was going through some traumatic experience because <laughs> I was staring at right. this one page for so long that it's unrealistic for someone to just keep staring at it. But to this day, I can draw a cell in cold by sort of that image that I remember. And so I knew that was something that I loved, but you have to realize, just like you guys coming out of high school, research career was not a career. If you like biology, you went to medical school. That was sort of the, mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. quote-unquote answer you give your parents. Except after high school, I just completely had no desire to sort of go around, except I thought maybe I liked merchant marines. So I joined radio officer school to <laughs> learn Morse code. It's like, I don't know what I was thinking, <laughs> but, you know, you do crazy things when you're young. And then I had an opportunity to come to an undergrad in Florida. And again, right, don't know what I'm doing, no family, just me and United States mm -hmm. and the school, right? <laughs> and you just jump in and realize that biology was indeed something I enjoyed and I was really doing well in it. And then I had a professor who had a course in my junior year that starts off with him coming in and saying, so this is a new paradigm that I'm trying to do and what I'm going to do is give you lectures. And here is a box. This box tells you everything you need to learn how to isolate ribosomal gene from spinach. And then he walked out. We had to unpack the box and figure out how to isolate ribosomal gene from spinach. And on purpose, he would not help us. We had about 12 kids in the class. By the time the course was almost nearing completion, there was about only four of us left. We had only reagents left for one more because we had messed up so many times <laughs> that we now were running out of reagents. And if you've been in a lab, you realize how often that happens. Mm. And I finally got it to work. And that was the day that kind of solidified my path because that exhilaration mm -hmm. that you get when you troubleshoot something from scratch, you cannot turn back from it because it's just something that makes it. And in fact, the course I teach, which most of you are products of it, is essentially modeled and right. it sort of amplified. But then where it got solidified was I had um, Dr. Wunan Kuo, and he was a professor in biochemistry at the college, and he gave me research position. And it was a very simple experiment, isolating an enzyme from baker's yeast. Not fancy, mm -hmm. not complicated, you just had to do some basic experiments. But because we had to run it, 
right? It created that sense of ownership. When you do something that he says, okay, do this, and then he walks away, you feel that need to learn about things. And that just reinforced that research was my path. And so the PhD track was really where I sort of followed at the University of Florida. And there, I had another sort of crazy sort of, and I think I've selected all of you to follow that <laughs> similar trend. So I'd done some research on vascular dilation in undergrad, so I thought my graduate course would be the same, and I would follow that path. Except this professor gave an amazing lecture on RNA processing. So I'm like, Dr. Swanson, can I do my second rotation with you? And I do the rotation with him and fall in love with RNA processing. And they had figured out this model for a disease called myotonic dystrophy. And I said, I know that you figured it out in yeast and cell culture, but shouldn't we make a mouse of this? Like, yeah, that's a good idea. And I said, can I make it? He goes, <laughs> okay. Right, And that, to me, has been what my life has turned around by people saying, okay to crazy stuff I want to do. Sure. And when I finally got through my postdoc with Dr. Sepko, there also, she does retina biology. And I said, can I do alternative splicing in retina biology? And she went, okay. <laughs> so essentially at UConn, what I've tried to build is sort of that kind of an environment where we do we're excited about something and we figure it out, right? And the research we do is hard to explain, not because the concepts are hard, it's just nobody studies it, so it's not as popular. But the advantage of recruiting talented people has been that we get to do new things. And I think podcast is one example of we do stuff because we figure, why not? Mm -hmm. And that idea of jumping in is sort of what we do. We don't hesitate to do new things just because we've never done it. Right. And so I feel the reason I'm so proud of this podcast is that it's the underlying thread that connects everyone in our lab. We jump in. So when I came in, I said, I want to do bioinformatics because that is something I saw as being an important part. I started to pick it up. And now half of our lab is doing bioinformatics. Yeah, And that part is what... I feel is so exciting that you're always reinventing yourself. You're always learning something new. So I had no idea how podcast or radio stations work, but I mean, come on, I'm sitting in a booth doing you're this. seeing the green lights. Oh, I know, I'm watching the green light go up and down. It's fantastic. So uh, jumping in, I mean, do you feel a lot of students have that opportunity throughout their journey and, you know, maybe undergraduate stage, even high school beyond, right? So it's not common that students are faced with that type of experience which allows them to truly identify what they are passionate about, what they like, and even what they don't like. So you learn, you know, what to filter out and what to focus on. I think that's often lacking. Right. Like, yeah, do you think it's the responsibility of the student to reach out to a professor or to a teacher or something? Or is it more of a responsibility of the teacher to say, hey, you know what, I'm just going to give, you a, give you a chance and I don't know why and you didn't really express interest, like that sort of thing? Because that's how I felt with you, you offered me a chance and I had never fathomed doing research Same before. Here. So, like, so, is it a mutual thing? Is it? Well, it is and it is not in the sense that you showed a certain proclivity to what you were doing in the class where I recognized you would make a good researcher. Mm -hmm. But having not experienced it, one of the things all of you now appreciate, it's not just about that one exciting result. It's the grind, it's mm -hmm. the hard work, the repetition. 
I don't think it's the job of the professor to say, I know you've never done this, therefore. I think what we have to do is it's a societal change that yeah. needs to occur. So, for example, I often give this example at the Thanksgiving table. Somebody asks you at, an, at age of 10, what do you want to be? You say, I want to be a garbage man. What do you think the response is going to be? Bad. Yeah. Exactly. Why? Mm -hmm. It makes no sense that we've created this sort of hierarchy of what profession is acceptable and what is not. The irony of that question of the person asking you, who is going to respond positively if you said doctor, is the fact that the person themselves is not a doctor. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right? So the irony is you respect a profession that you are not, and yet you expect everyone else to become that one profession. It makes no sense. And that is what we are confronted with freshmen coming in where they have been told that there are very limited professions that we as family and society respect. And as a Pavlovian response, a child is always going to find what gets a positive response. Sure. It's only undergrad where you realize there are options, but the problem I seem to have recognized is exposure. You get exposure to research in my course when you're a senior or a junior, which is clearly quite late. So I can plug in my new course. Yeah. <laughs> it's called. Go ahead. It's you called, heard it here first. <laughs> it's called the LEAP program that Dr. Shenier and I are running in the PNB department, where what we're going to do is in your freshman year, you are just taking a one credit course where you study a gene, for example, and you study it at a very fundamental level. And it's a one credit, so no pressure. Then the same gene is now being studied in your second semester spring where you dig a little deeper. Then the third semester, you dig deeper, but this time you actually explore bench work. And then what we have done as a little bit of a trick is that the genes we have asked these students to study are part of research labs that are already actively studying them. So by the time you're a sophomore, you can go to that lab and say, I've been studying the gene you've been publishing on mm -hmm. for the last two years. Can I join your lab to do research? What that has done is now these students regardless of a lab, whether they are in or not, are exposed to basic science research, not with a massive dump in one semester, but incrementally. Right. As they are still pre-med track or pharmacy track, whatever track they're on, this becomes a fully sort of parallel exposure that they can either run with it, but they cannot now blame that they were not exposed to. Mm -hmm. right. Yeah. right. So you can decide, of course, you have to find what is your path. But it's not because you are not exposed. So I think what professors can do is provide the opportunity. The students still have to make the choice to say, this is what I'm going to do. And I think currently, last week alone, I got about eight or nine emails requesting to join our lab. The three of you are in the lab. Can we accommodate just from space? Not, not even two. No. <laughs> right. but None. Is that the fault of these students who are emailing me? No. 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 So how do you fix this structural deficit? Mm -hmm. And that is why this course, even though it's going to cost me a lot of time and effort, I think it's worth a try to saying, you know what? You don't need to join a research lab to do research. You can still get the legitimate exposure. Mm -hmm. And the study of the same gene over time gives you the gravitas to walk and talk about it that nobody sure. who is interested in studying you'd say oh wow you already know what i would have asked you to read 
why would I not give you the chance? Well, it's the sense of ownership you mentioned before, mm -hmm. right? right? You need that. It provides value and it provides uh, more motivation to keep going. Well, I mean, let's turn it around, right? So you took the course or you were in the lab. When did you decide, wait, this is what I want to do? I think you are probably the... Well, my story is a bit different than theirs. So we can start with your story. <laughs> because I was one of those Pavlovian conditioned pre-med <laughs> students who... I wouldn't say shepherded towards that career, but rather, you know, always said I wanted to be a doctor because of the lack of exposure to other fields, because I didn't know what science offered me. I remember, I remember it was my senior year of high school, and I was deciding whether or not to take AP physics or AP biology, and I said, do I want to be a doctor or do I want to be an engineer? And those are the two paths that I had. Right. That, that's a perfect example. Right. You get two choices. Yep. And I remember having this conversation with my mom. I was like, I don't know which one I should do. In that moment, now looking back, there aren't two options. <laughs> There's a whole spectrum of available careers yeah. that I could have chosen from. But nonetheless, I decided to take AP Biology and choose the doctor path. And so I just continued on that path. And I was you know, doing all these things to make myself a good candidate for medical school. And one of those things that I did was join a research lab, which was your lab at the time, and, and still. <laughs> <laughs> and once I became exposed to research, I realized the creativity and the ownership of a specific project and the passion that I had for just asking simple, fundamental biological questions and answering foundational biology rather than pursuing a field of medicine or treatment or diagnostics, which isn't really who I am as a person. I'm more of a benchwork scientist that likes to have a puzzle that you're trying to solve and a larger picture of a narrative of a project that I myself am spearheading and I don't know has you know a large footprint if it's in the context of disease or something. Right and I think that's the part that I feel what the strain of our lab is and that is that we study a process but in different tissues right. where we are not a limb developmental biology lab yet you are making great progress simply by enjoying what you're doing. Mm -hmm. You look up the relevant literature, right. you troubleshoot, we dissect together and figure out what's going mm -hmm. on. Maybe you were right, maybe you were wrong, but that's essentially what I feel is an awash if you're not enjoying it. Right. Because when you enjoy it, the work just gets better. Yep. And so that was the struggle you went through. And I think I'm going to probe a little bit here because I think it's relevant to... <laughs> uh, well, I mean, it's relevant to, in fact, the students who face that challenge, right? So when you told your folks that you're not going to med school, yeah, that was a tough summer for you. It was. It was a bit of a hiccup. There was some, I wouldn't say backlash, but resistance. It was more of, are you sure? You've said your whole life you want to be a doctor, and now you're flipping. Are you just panicking? You know, are you overwhelmed with the amount of work and expectations that medical school has? You know, are you and I, I feel like you confident? say it so many times, like as you progress through your career, that exactly. like, you kind of so, trained yourself to think, right, like, right. I have to do this. And I've said it so many times, then well, I that's, can't not Right, go that's the conditioning. And so it wasn't that they were upset or disappointed. It was just that they were right. concerned, as they should have been, that I wasn't being coerced into something I didn't want to do. And yeah, that was really difficult. And it, distracted from both because you start to become so frustrated and confused if you're making the right decision that you stop putting the effort towards one because you've kind of checked out so I kind of checked out on the medical pathway and so I stopped putting the effort there but then I wasn't fully committed to research because I wasn't entirely convinced consciously that that was the you correct choice subconsciously I knew it right yeah. but you start to doubt yourself you're like am I making the right decision this right. could be wrong and if it's wrong look what I'm giving up right and inherent to that is 
lack of progress in any direction. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that was that was difficult. But I think I am better for it having gone through it. I think I came through it with a sense of self-reflection and ability to ask myself fundamentally in a lot of different things now if what I'm doing is what I want to be doing. Right. And, yeah, you're now more sure yeah. in your decision. Right. And I think that that moment that all undergrads go through is always in the backdrop of that sort of you've told yourself all these years that one thing over and over and over so that your brain doesn't even contemplate that mm -hmm. you're not either cut out for it, you don't like it, it's whatever the reasons may be, you resist that because you're like, I've said this my entire life, right? right? I find that is the primary reason why early exposure is so crucial, is that if you have that moment in your senior year, you're not turning ship now, right. you're, you're yeah. committed. I was fortunate that it was the second <clears throat> semester of my sophomore year. I had time to make a decision. I went through that summer and then the following first semester junior year and I spent yeah like six months delegating, right. debating in my head. Right. And, and I think that brings in essentially the two of you because yeah. I think that was when you had to confront this and I think you went through the same except it was compressed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there was definitely a shorter time scale for me to make certain decisions. So I had a similar experience insofar as I had that med school idea in mind and for so many years. And I had had some exposure to research via an internship that I did my sophomore year. But because I went in there and people knew that I'd had this idea of med school, no one ever actually asked me about my legitimate interest in research mm -hmm. and if that was something I'd want to do. And so it never even really occurred to me, right? So nobody asked me and I'd already had this other mindset going. Uh, but I had a legitimately good experience with it. I loved it. And then senior year, you know, I had to take a W course that I'd heard about your course and that it involved some research. And I said, that sounds so exciting. Um, get a little bit of exposure again. And uh, so I went for it. And I remember that first PCR that I did and seeing the alternatively spliced band on that, I got so excited that I actually had a result. And I remember you were like, oh, this is awesome. Uh, just your excitement amplified my own. Well, um, and the reason the course is designed that way is I legitimately don't know the answer to the experiment yeah. you're running. So I can't fake that excitement. It's like a legitimate for the first time, oh, wow, look at that. That's a, Something's happen actually happening. Right, right. And so the excitement can't be feigned. It's legitimate because it's something we had never seen before. Mm -hmm. So it's what I think is the course leveraging is that excitement from us, but then the student is responding to the fact that it's the first time. And I think that's where I think UConn has become this interesting place for me where I never thought UConn would be the place I would be. Mm -hmm. And it, let alone undergrad, never taught undergrads before, right? And now it's become that we are doing things such as this podcast that wouldn't have thought. Mm -hmm. And I think that is why I'm so sort of excited about the students who are coming into the lab is we've figured out the kind of students we want to recruit. People who jump in and just do something new because, well, why not? Mm -hmm. Right? I've always said to you, if somebody asks, why do you do this? Ask the question, why not? Right. Mm -hmm. Because it's fun. Why not? Well, <laughs> that's it. That's the end of the answer. Mm -hmm. Why not? And I think when you approach science that way, I feel you can be a kid. Right? It's the same questions you've ever asked, but this time you can do something about it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
So if we can get this infection spread amongst the freshmen early, where you're like, you can try this, <laughs> try this out, and if you don't like it, that's fine. But if you like it, here is a path that you can legitimately explore whether this is a career or not. Not everyone should do PhD. That's not what this is about, right? But then I was in India this past year for sabbatical, and I had my mom listen to Elisa and Kyle. And <laughs> she thought it was a legitimate radio show that I was making her listen. <laughs> and, and she goes, oh, who's that girl? She has the most wonderful laugh. I'm like, well, uh, maybe I never told you that. Did I tell you? No, I don't think Well, so. there you go. It came to memory that you had. And she was so amazed that you guys... And then, of course, I was bragging, like, yeah, and Kyle just got a fellowship for doing this better. <laughs> and, you know, that is what is the positive feedback, where what are the odds that we're sitting here running a full-on podcast that you mm -hmm. did because we thought it was a good idea for GRFB? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so that's the part I'm so excited is that I get to talk about you guys to anyone who comes. I don't know if I told you guys this. We were recruiting faculty to join our department very recently. Mm. And one of the recruits was, you know, we were talking and I said, oh, and by the way, you know, undergrads and grad students are great at UConn for the following reason. Here's an undergrad who became grad student in my lab and he, as an undergrad, started this podcast. And he was so excited about it. He said, can you send me the link? I sent him the link. He sent in his email back, oh my God, this is one of the best podcasts. Ever. I don't know how many podcasts yeah, he listens sure. to, yeah. okay? It just could be his end of one. Right. <laughs> Regardless. We'll yeah. Exactly. Nice exactly. Yeah, yeah. We'll take it, right? And it's, how often do you think a professor can share something so random yet cool? Mm -hmm. Like you walk in to talk about science, and like, oh, we're also doing this, this other thing. <laughs> And it's where you t select people who are talented and ready to jump in. And with that, I wanted to give a shout out to Alisa because mm. she jumped in and did something really cool for lab meeting today where she figured out 3D <laughs> rendering of her images. Mm -hmm. And you know what? She sat there like, I don't know what I'm doing, but <laughs> she's clicking away random buttons. And you know what? Figured it out. <laughs> and it looked awesome. It did. It looked really cool. Yeah. Uh, and so it's it's that part you know i think is what makes for what we do so much fun and why we do it for so less money mm -hmm. right i mean that's really what it boils down to that um, troubleshooting that macgyvering as it was exactly like, yeah. right <laughs> it's it's well i think what's also really nice is that we're now bridging the ability to not only recruit students for raw science but also science communication right this can grow this mm -hmm. podcast can grow and so now like we're saying if you you know, not everybody's meant to do a PhD, but if you introduce people to basic scientific research and they say, maybe this isn't for me, but I'm really fascinated by what I'm learning and I really like the idea of presenting this information, then we can say, here's a different avenue you can go on. You can talk to professors, scientists, researchers of all disciplines about the work that they're doing and present it to the public or write about it, write articles about the work that they're doing. And I think that's also an avenue that is larger than verbal, like written scientific work, but still nonetheless is kind of tailored towards scientific audiences, yeah. right? It's sort of like a... Yeah, it's growing because you need to have both the biological background and the ability to yeah. communicate the ideas. And it's and tough. It's definitely tough. We've all experienced how hard right. it is to... Articles that I read about <coughs> publications are either 
inaccurate. <laughs> inaccurate because people don't understand the information or yeah. they're still too specific and right. scientific yeah, that the no layperson wouldn't understand it fully. Mm -hmm. yeah, right? So and to try to hit that Goldilocks zone, that happy yeah. medium, is a necessary So you need to make things understandable but not... Diluted uh, too much. Correct. So. And like today with yeah, that... Yeah, the, the article today where yeah. we saw a picture of an embryo and we're like, oh, I was like, oh that's, that's a really about pretty embryo. 11 yeah, and it said it was a 17-day-old mouse embryo. And we were like, okay, that's just that's fundamentally just wrong. wrong, right? And, uh, but like no one, no one else would know. Yeah, with it's not like it really matters, but it demonstrates that there is mistakes are yeah, easily. But it between. also reveals a gap, a niche that people can fill. Mm -hmm. Meaning, that's what I'm saying. Right. So that's what you're hi highlighting. That is that there is this gap. Right. You can imagine that if you have this background and Congress is deciding to fund or defund a program, someone like that could be part of that lobbying right. and or and making congressmen or women understand yeah. why they should fund that specific research because here are the implications, right? And often people think of, oh, they're studying shrimp. What's the point of that? Well, I mean, you know, you don't realize the implications, right? It's just because you see something you eat at Red Lobster mm -hmm. as being a source of study, you're like, what's the point? I eat that. <laughs> but there are sort of the ramifications are what is not explained, right. why that model system is an important model system. Yeah. And I think that is where science communication, mm -hmm. I think what you're pointing out, is so valuable. Yeah. And going back to your class, is, while it's like exposing the students to actual research, is there going to be like a component with writing and also communicating? So what we do, at least the design, let's see if it works out that way, <laughs> is just like the W course that is compressed and intense, we fragment the course so that in the first semester, they only present the gene structure in a PowerPoint slide. The second semester, they're curating literature and generating a background write-up. Mm -hmm. So it's a two-credit course. So that specific grade is for the write-up on the gene. The third semester, they're going to now engage with the current literature and formulate a hypothesis about what they would and so that's a three-credit course. But in this three-credit, one credit is they have to go and talk to the professor to which the gene is engaged. Okay. That's already yeah, FaceTime. That's already mm -hmm. important questions they can ask. Yeah. The fourth semester is auditioning in the lab to do bench work. So yeah. you start learning techniques. But as a coursework, not as we're going to teach you as a summer project, you're going to join the lab. But in that fourth semester, you're learning the techniques so that that summer, you can start doing yeah. research. So you're building a toolbox. For Jump the right in. Yeah. Right. Also, the other idea is if you, as an undergrad, like I have undergrads who send me emails that are copy-pasted from our website. Dear Dr. Kanadia, I love what you do. The importance of alternative splicing <laughs> in development is quite important, as reflected by, and you see what they've done. I don't blame them. I understand what they're doing. They want to connect with me. But I also know that if I get 10 emails with the same format, that yeah. it reads of you read, went on the home page and you copied. Yeah. Instead, if you had four semesters of having to just study minor spliceosome, when you come to talk to me, mm -hmm. you've got command of that subject. Yeah. And even if, let's say, for whatever reason, you don't want to continue actual bench work, you can go and talk about it to anyone because mm -hmm. you've studied the same thing right. incrementally over two years. Yeah. You can't replace that in one course. Mm -hmm. And is this course open only to PMB or to any biology to or bio, any? Yeah. Okay. Um, bio, any biology. Any biology. What about honors? 
So, <laughs> yeah, no, it's a good question. We actually met with the honors department and we said we would like to open it to honors, but, but really like, the objective is to exactly. not restrict to all. Yeah, because what I, I felt as an undergrad who wasn't in the honors program, I sent only like three emails to get a research position because I knew all of the research positions were going to be filled by honor students and I didn't have that tag on my name. And the funniest so. thing is I've never selected a student for the honors tag. Yeah, well, like but, that's the but that's, that's the, the, the reality. Yeah. But you might not be the only one. And yeah, so exactly. one of the things we're doing is we're not going to make it an honors only or that sort of yes. a restriction. So I'd asked one of the students in the lab, and I said, "Would you have sent me an email as an undergrad to join the lab?" He said, "No, I didn't know I could do that." But if it's a class, it's yeah. an a roster you're taking. Mm -hmm. It's not something that puts that artificial burden. So I feel like what you are describing is that you guys got the exposures, you had the time to sort of work through yourself and say, okay, this is what I want to do. But if you never come across this, you've missed out on an opportunity that you might be really good at. It's just you never got the exposure. Right. So if we can remedy that, I think it creates a fundamental change in someone's trajectory at an early stage mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so they can still turn around and say you know what this is not what i want yeah. and we've had a student in the lab right you and i have been working with and mm -hmm. um, she's truly a med school bound student she loves it she thinks about it that is her passion and that's great i think often what people think is that research scientists abhor medical profession <laughs> that's not true it's just you do what you love and people will support sure. that decision. Yeah. I wonder how this sense of exposure translates to other fields of study too, right? So we're very biased in considering yeah. science only like and this, this like path of, or... yeah, like med school versus research and we're, we're kind of narrowing our vision into this one, mm -hmm. you know, phenomena. And I just wonder in the arts and humanities. history, English, humanities, right. yeah. whatever, how they too can combat this lack of exposure at an early age, and if they already are, there might be these yeah. programs that we're just not aware of because we're not in we're these yeah, I mean, that's bubbles, the thing, right? right? We so we can you know right. solve this problem from the sciences, but it's good to get the voice out for other departments to hear this type of class setup so and a, use it as a template for other. Right, MCB has a course like this where they do bacterial sort of based research, and then because they do bacterial genomes a lot. So you can find your bug from a different place. We can mm -hmm. sequence and identify. So it's called open space or something like that. I forget. No, I forget the name of the course. But MCB has a program like this as well. But the idea is just to not force, here is what research is. You should do research. The idea is, here is how it gets done. Right. Do you think <clears throat> this works for you? And if it works for you, then you should go do those things. Well, that's why you're here. The three of you came because nobody forced you to. You were allowed to say, this makes sense. And when it makes sense, it's easy to justify to others. If I had said, no, Kyle, let me tell you why you should do research, you'd be like, yeah. I'm like, Kyle, if you want to go to med school, I'll help you get into med school. Here are the, in fact, I suggested how you get into mm -hmm. med school. We're like, let's do this, let's do that. So it was not that I chose for you to stay. It was that you had to decide what you enjoyed, right. and then we could move forward. And I think applies to the three of you the same, right? Is that... Um, that how do you find that path is not by force, it's by exposure. 
that simple invitation that this is a thing that you can be doing if you don't want to do this you have that uh, option yeah and do what you love with the coursework the advantage is you're just adding your coursework so if you're just doing coursework that's just part right. that yeah. you're doing anyways but it then gets you further involved right yeah all right let's wrap this up okay any final remarks for you guys this was fun having the four of us yeah, here exactly, yeah. and talk history yeah. and talk well, future um, and could not tell you. The whole time frame, right? No, but <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. where we came from, where we're going. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. right. And, and the pride, <laughs> you know, the pride we have for just making this a reality, right? I think it's funny when people sort of comment on how good or bad something is. My comment is this exists. Mm -hmm. That alone is an accomplishment. Mm -hmm. Whether or not it is great, good, bad, we can't judge that. It, it will depend on who listens, how it right. translates. But I don't care. This exists because we made it. We gave you know, it life. Yeah, yeah. It, it was. And again, I can't take credit except for making you do it. <laughs> but you did it. That's the credit I get. I get the credit of like, nope, we're going to do this. And then the rest of the credit is yours because you guys made this into what it is now and could not be even more excited that you're going to, when are we launching? May 17th. All right. Big day. Big day. And hopefully <laughs> this will be the capstone for the year for all of yes. us. Yeah. Excellent. <laughs> all right. Cool. This podcast is made possible by funding from the Office of the Provost and the Office of the Vice President for Research. Thanks for listening.